Today's reading is Colossians 3, verse 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. King's Quest students, you can head to the lobby to find your teachers. The rest of you may be seated. Good morning, my name is Beth Palmer. I am one of the pastors here at Grace, and two weeks ago we began a series on spiritual formation. And then last week, Daniel talked about how our spiritual formation takes place as a result of community, of being part of a family, and specifically this church family here at Grace. I've been part of this church family now for over 20 years, and you have been a huge part of my formation into the likeness of Christ. And I know half of you are thinking, gosh, there's still a lot of work to do, which is true. But I just want to say I'm deeply grateful for the individuals that make this motley crew into a family, make it into my family. And I'm aware of how very much I've learned and grown in the hundreds of hours that I've now spent worshiping alongside you. So this morning, I want to look specifically at the formational aspect of worship. How is worship part of our formation into the likeness of Christ? And I'll say right off the bat, worship is a really big word, a really big topic, right? The word worship at its most global or basic definition simply means to ascribe worth to something. We often say around church that all of life is worship, but then that word also gets used to describe what happens here between 10 and 11.30 on a Sunday morning, right? The worship service. And then that word gets even narrower as it refers specifically to our singing. So for the purposes of today, I want to talk about worship as it applies to the corporate gathered time together, and then specifically as it applies to our singing. And I'll make a caveat right out the gate. I'm taking a lot of this from a sermon I gave on worship about eight years ago, but I'm really hopeful that most of you have either forgotten it or it was so great you don't mind hearing some of it again. <laughs> So, today's text, Colossians 3, said, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Scripture memorization is really important for disciples. Even Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan in the desert, he managed to resist those temptations by pulling on the word of God and quoting scripture at his tempter. 
Psalm 11911 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Singing is a really helpful, genius, honestly, God-given way to help us with scripture memorization. Let's be honest, for most of us, memorization of straight chunks of scripture is just plain hard. Even though we know it's good for us to have God's word so readily at hand, it's just difficult to memorize large chunks of scripture. And I've given this example before, but how come we all know State Farm's motto or vision statement, right? Like a good neighbor. Thank you or farmers' much less inspiring motto or vision statement that says, we are farmers. Great vision statement right there. <laughs> How do you know what um, the best part of waking up is? Right? It's because those phrases, they're mindless phrases, but they're set to annoyingly catchy music. Who knows Romans 11 verses 33 through 36. Going to put it on the screen behind me, David. Let's read this together, this lengthy text. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That would be a tricky text to memorize, right? But sing it to me. in mind, don't sing it to me, but now close your eyes and say it back to me. Think about the melody in your head, but you're going to say it to me. Okay, here we go. Oh, the depth of, the riches of, the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable, unknowable are his ways. With the melody in mind, it's easier for you to recite the scripture back, right? Because it's set to music, thankfully, by our own Jessica Garcia, did a phenomenal job of setting that text pretty tightly to music, which helps us now be able to recall that whenever we want to bring that scripture to mind. This is how I know um, Psalm 121 says, uh, I lift my eyes up unto the mountains. That's how I 
I've always known Psalm 121, or Psalm 62 is another one we sing here quite often. It says, um, my soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. It's also how I know um, Hebrews 11, verse 6, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I learned that one when I was like six or seven, but it stuck, right? The melody has made it stick. I can always recite Hebrews 11, verse six. So I thank God for this really helpful tool that lets the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We need to imbibe the word of Christ. We need to drink it in. We need to chew on it. We need to like, like a dog gnawing on a bone for days and days on end, which is disgusting, but it helps. It gets this song that you can't get out of your head. You find yourself humming it. You find yourself whistling snippets of it. So the songs are designed to help us memorize scripture and let it dwell in us richly. Okay, secondly, our songs are in and of themselves a form of teaching. We are learning about God in our songs. Theologian Gordon Fee once said, show me your songs and I'll tell you your church's theology. Meaning somebody should be able to walk in here on a Sunday morning, not listen to a word of the sermon, say they pay attention only to the songs. They should be able to leave knowing something about who God is and what he has accomplished in Jesus as a result of what we sing together. This morning, the songs that we sang, they should know that God's love never fails and never gives up on them. There's something endless about God's love. They should know that if they feel like they screwed up for the last time this week, that God's love is still big enough to conquer that. The old is gone, the new has come. There's so much to pull from the words and the teaching of our songs. Let me give you an example of this with one of my favorite hymns that we sing here quite often before the throne of God. And I'm only going to take you through the first verse because there's so, so much in this song from Scripture. Um, it's very, very rich. You'll see the point soon enough. So the first two lines of before the throne of God above, you see how they're tied to the text from Hebrews 4. Um, the song is before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. Okay, that's taken from Hebrews 4, and then it goes on and says, A great high priest whose name is love. Goes into Hebrews 7, Whoever lives and pleads for me. Then we jump to Isaiah 49. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that well in heaven he stands. Romans 8, no tongue can bid me thence depart. So in this song alone, we're learning that Jesus is our mediator, those passages out of Hebrews 4. You could, you could preach like four sermons just from this verse. It's pointing to the crucifixion when it talks about our names being graven on his hands, talking about the nails in his hands. It's teaching us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, right? There's so much just in that one verse. We hope that our songs become our teachers and our aids in our theological understanding of who it is that we're worshiping. Thirdly, music is designed by the Creator to engage our emotions. Your emotions do play a part in worship. That's not something you're supposed to leave outside the door. And I believe that God created music to evoke and stir emotions. I'm sure 
Many of us have had that experience of our emotions being inspired like by a rousing anthem. Maybe it happened for you on Monday when you were singing the national anthem and watching the fireworks go off. Your emotions are stirred with passion in that moment. Or maybe like a tragic scene in a, in a movie or something. Have you ever actually watched a movie without a, a musical soundtrack? It's, it's pretty boring. Even the first silent movies actually had musical accompaniment, right? They, the piano players were paid to watch the screen and play music to help you um, feel what you were watching on the screen at the same time. It made, made the movie come alive a little bit for the viewer. Let me show you a couple of examples. Show me that picture. Look at that cute little fish, right? It's not so cute anymore, is it? Yep, now you're starting to feel something. We bit scared, huh? The music is what's causing you to do that, all right? Show me the second picture, David. Look at that. Anybody? Top Gun? You feel differently about it now? All right, or the next one? Um. Right? It doesn't work, does it? That does not work for Darth Vader. He has his own theme if you listen to the soundtrack of Star Wars. But the music can make or break the message. The music should help us connect our emotions to the truth of what it is that we're singing. And there are little musical tricks, I'll be honest, like key changes or something that we might throw in to enhance the emotional experience in a song during our worship. So in Before the Throne, that song I played a minute ago, um, we'll quite often throw in a, a key change between the second verse and the third verse. So the end of second verse is a... Um, in Christ my Savior and my God, in Christ my Savior and my God, and in this spectacular key change, point of that is to kind of heighten your eyes, heighten your soul as you engage these words and say, behold him there. It literally makes you want to lift your eyes up. Sometimes in a, in a song, you'll hear the drummer start doing what we call a tom build or a, like a, a build where they just kind of play this repetitive boom, 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 all the way through a bridge and it builds and it builds and it builds and then you get back to a chorus and it releases the tension of that. It's designed to kind of help build anticipation and then release um, when it finally climaxes in whatever the words of the chorus are. Or I like to play one of my favorite hymns, Be Thou My Vision, in a minor key the whole way through so that you feel the relief when I finally take it to the major in the last verse. So, be thou my vision, keep it all dark here of my heart. It stays very, very minor the whole song. And then I get to the last verse, which is High King. push things over. There are these little musical tricks that we do, and it's not to manipulate, but it's to try and heighten and engage the emotions even more with what it is that we're singing. Hopefully, they do help you to emotionally connect to the power of the words that we're singing. But here's an honest question. <laughs> what if you don't like the style of the music? What do we do in our preferences, which are our God-given proclivities and tendencies? What do we do 
when those actually prevent us from worshiping? Well, I would point, as I frequently do in a church community, to Romans 12, which says, honor one another above yourselves. Or Philippians 2, which says to have the same mind as Christ did, where he laid aside all his own preferences and endured a humiliating and painful death for others on the cross. I want to invite my two friends, Dave and Brian, are going to come up here to, to help um, exemplify this even a little bit more. We're going to play Amazing Grace. You all know Amazing Grace. Okay, we're going to just sing the first verse together. Dave, you're going to go first. Um, three different ways, but we're going, to sing this, we're going to sing it together. So, Dave, go ahead and lead us in uh, the first verse of Amazing Grace, if you will. Let's sing along with them. singing that song now I'll do a, a version here we go amazing grace amazing grace sing along how sweet the sound that had saved a wretch like me I barely changed chords in there at all. I played something that's called an open fifth. There's not a lot of harmony in it. It's very open and spacious. Brian, give us another version of that. Close your eyes. Close your eyes, he said. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Dave. I am not going to ask for a show of hands on your preference. <laughs> but the fact is, you probably have one, right? But the content, the truth of the words that we sang, didn't change at all. 
And while one of these might not have been your best way of engaging in worship, it was someone else's best way. Sometimes we can be singing a song in here on a Sunday morning, and I'm secretly hating the song inside, and I'm already calculating how I'm going to try and delete it from our church database the week following. And then I'll look around, and I'll see somebody having a total worship moment. They're clearly caught up in the presence of Jesus. And in that moment, I just have to choose to prefer my brother's preference and engagement in worship. Which kind of leads to the next question, which is on the screen. Why do we sing together? Why do we have to sing together? Why can't I just do this on my own in the privacy of my, you know, my shower or my bedroom or wherever I like to sing? Well, bottom line, it's not all about you. We are instructed in that Colossians 3 passage to teach and admonish one another, not myself. And we need one another in our corporate worship in the same way that a note needs two other notes in order to make up a chord, right? Listen to this melody. It's from a Chopin prelude. It's two notes, a B and a C, and it just repeats until there, okay? It's a bit boring. Sorry, Chopin. I know you're really good. Listen to it again with the left hand. It's the harmonies in the left hand that make or break it, right? It needs the three other notes. We need one another's voices. And I am not just talking about for physical harmony, which is beautiful and helps in our worship. I'm talking about the harmony that is created by a life that is lived together which means we need to know one another. It means we need to live in one another's stories. So when we sing, sometimes, you know, mindlessly not really thinking about it, something like, um, though life is but a fleeting breath, that just took on a completely different emotion for me when I sing it for a family here at Grace when the husband Philip had a, a bad bicycling accident last week and actually punctured a lung. Right? Life is but a fleeting breath, and now that song feels a bit different when I sing that. Or singing, um, riches I heed not, when someone here just found themselves to be homeless this week. Or on a day when I'm feeling super condemned in my own sin, I need to hear others singing over me, when Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, upwards you need to look and see in there. Honestly, in that moment, guys, I don't care whether you can hold a tune or not. I don't care whether you have a pretty voice. I don't care. I just need to hear you sing it because you probably believe it more passionately than I do in that moment, and I need you to be singing it on my behalf. So it's not always about you, about how you feel or whether you connect with the words on any given Sunday or whether you can or can't sing in tune or have a pretty voice. A lot of this is about our posture towards others. Teach and admonish one another, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, plural, not your heart, hearts, that's more than one person. 
So what does all this singing actually do for us? Back to the spiritual formation question. Well, honestly, the bottom line is we become like that which we worship. The very first commandment of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself any idol or worship any other entity. Author G.K. Beale says this, people will always reflect something, whether it be God's or some feature of the world. If people are committed to God, they will become like him. If they are committed to something other than God, they will become like that thing, always spiritually inanimate and empty, like the lifeless and vain aspect of creation to which they've committed themselves. Psalm 115 picks up on this same idea. Verses two through eight say, why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, but they can't even smell. They have hands, but they can't feel. Feet, and they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. And those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. I talked about this a little bit the last time I preached. Idols are the things that have our attention. They have our devotion. We give them our brain space. We give them our time, our money. So honestly, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. If you want to become like Christ, make him your idol, because then he'll be first and foremost in your heart. And which will then manifest in your body, manifest in your actions, manifest in your time and your devotion. A second thing that our, our gathered corporate worship time does for us, and here I'm going back to the more global sense of worship as in the whole worship service, so not just the singing, it's a reframing time. Lou Huseman, who's a, the former senior pastor here, used to use this metaphor of this being like a huddle during the middle of a football game. We are out there on the field playing the game, engaging the battle for this world that we're spiritually involved in all week. And then when we come back in here on a Sunday morning, it's like it's a check-in, right? A reminder of the plays at hand, reinforcing the truths, rehearsing the victory chant that we will sing upon winning, which we will, rallying each other to keep our eyes on the prize, encouraging one another to stay in it because we know who wins. We declare truths in the face of a world of lies. We bow the knee here to the true Lord of all, and we protest loudly and vigorously that we are in this world, but we will not be of it. What a great way to approach our worship service and our time together. Do me a favor and try to think of that metaphor as you come to worship next Sunday. Be thinking of that metaphor. We've been out playing on the field. We're coming in here to rally one another to the good work that we are called to do on a weekly basis. Let's see if that changes our anticipation and our engagement with worship next Sunday when we gather together. So we've talked about why we use songs. We've talked about why we sing together. And we've talked a little bit about what it can do for us. What if you're still stuck after this? We're gonna go on and sing shortly, and you're just simply not feeling it, right? Could we force our hearts or our minds to engage and get all caught up in worship? Is it even that programmatic or under our own control? 
The other most often cited Bible verse, I think, regarding worship comes from Jesus' interactions with the Samaritan woman at the well, where he ends up telling her that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in the spirit and in truth. What does that mean, in the spirit and truth? Well, the truth part might be easier for most of us to get our heads around. We're thinking about theological truths, um, you know, biblically informed worship, honest worship even. But what does it mean to be in the spirit? Have you ever had one of those kind of transcendent moments, quite often during worship, singing, where you know something other is going on during the worship? In chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah talks about being caught up in a vision. Or John, when he had a vision that became the, becomes the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible, he says when he wrote that, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Have you ever had that moment in worship where like you can't speak or you don't want to speak um, or you're kind of transfixed in some way? I believe that that can happen in our worship. Worship of God is going on right now all day, all night in the heavenly realms. When we join here in this room, we are actually joining in that too. Author N.T. Wright described it as like the veil being pulled back and we can step right into the very throne room of God. We are stepping into our ultimate future at that moment because we are becoming worshipers, being permanently in the presence of the living God. There's an already not yet component of what we do now that brings us into that place too. And I'm not talking about an out-of-body experience or anything worryingly charismatic. God gave us bodies, right? Our worship will always be an embodied experience. You'll notice in, if you look at those passages I just referred to in detail, Revelation and in Isaiah, there's a lot of embodied and physical movement that's going on in worship, right? They aren't all just sitting still in rows, not you know, moving. There's bowing and there's flying and there's lifting of things and there's falling down and covering of faces and playing of harps. I do think that sometimes we need to get over our physical self-consciousness or our self-awareness a little bit in order to present our bodies as part of our worship. Standing up during worship, that's a simple one. It's a sign of respect. If the President of the United States walked into this room right now, you would jump to your feet because that's what you do in the face of such authority. Or the Queen of England, for some of us. It's a sign, <laughs> it's a sign of being at attention, right? Symbolizing with your body the attitude of your mind or your heart. Some of us lift our hands in worship. Some of us bow, even. Some of us, we walk forward to the communion table. We sway. Sometimes we clap. We are embodied people. How many of you have ever taken a yoga class? Decent chunk, okay. Indulge me with this. We're going to do a real quick yoga exercise, okay? I want you all to stand up. Let's get our bodies involved. Stand up. Okay. I'm no yoga instructor, but I want you to slowly inhale as you lift your hands up in front of you until they're high above your head. There you go. You can do this at home too. I know you can see me on the screen. As you exhale, I want you to lower your hands till they're parallel to the ground in front of you. Flip your hands over. Okay, now I want you to tip your chin down to your chest and back up, and then tip your chin down to your chest one more time. Don't strain it. 
I don't want any lawsuits or medical claims in here. All right, that's it. Shake it off. You can sit down. Okay. Thank you for indulging me. Have a seat. We're going to get back to the topic at hand. We're going to sing a golden oldie together, okay? Join me with this one. I think it's called, um, what key? Uh, I, think it's, I think it's called Holy is the Lord. Uh, here we go. you right there. Do you see my point? <laughs> you see the words of that song? How come it's more normal or okay in a yoga class with an instructor spelling out what we should be doing with our bodies than with a lot of these songs that honestly they themselves are the instructors to our bodies of how to engage our worship. Worship our incredible, awesome, way better than the president or the queen of England, God, right? How is it that so many of us are really good at engaging our bodies in other ways throughout the whole week, and then all of a sudden on Sunday we're frozen, right? We'll, we'll pummel our bodies to, to end up looking a certain way. We'll do some crazy workouts to that end. Some of us will tattoo or pierce our bodies in order to look a certain way or do, you know, make adjustments to our body. There's so many ways that we engage our bodies. We'll go dancing at a club or at the Good Foot or a wedding, whatever it is. We'll do these things and then on a Sunday we come in and all of a sudden it's like we have, no, our body's not even involved. Lifting our hands or bowing our heads or even our knees for those of us that can, those are some of the few physical ways we actually have of engaging our bodies in this place. Let's be honest, we can't hula hoop or all do downward dogs together on a Sunday morning, but we can lift our hands and our heads and our voices. Leading with our body sometimes then it helps to engage your head and your heart in a different way. If you want to be more surrendered to God in worship, maybe we need to try surrendering some of our comfort levels and our self-consciousness. Richard Foster, who's a very familiar name in the world of spiritual formation, defines spiritual formation as this. The Christian idea of spiritual formation is very simply the formation and confirmation and transformation of the human personality body, mind, and spirit into the likeness of Christ. This picture on the screen behind me is Michael Ventrella. He's the biggest winner of The Biggest Loser. Uh, I think he lost about half of his, his body weight in the course of that show. You don't get from that to that by thinking about it, right? Nor can you get there without engaging your mind and your will as well, your spirit being fully engaged in, in the process. If we want to continue being formed in the likeness of Christ, and if this weekly corporate worship gathering is part of that, then we bring our bodies and our minds and our spirits into the equation. And we all have different elements of that that need more forming than others, right? I actually have no problem bringing my body into worship, but there's many weeks where I find myself on autopilot a little bit, 
or I haven't even asked the Holy Spirit who lives, dwells within me, how he would like to engage in worship that, that day through me. Or maybe we're singing the words, but we're mentally, you know, making a grocery list in our mind as we sing. So in a few minutes, we are going to respond in singing. Actually, band, if you want to come back up now and get ready. But before we do, I want to give us a minute to reflect. And here's a question for you. Are there any ways that you think the Holy Spirit wants you to be formed that you've been resistant to? And this could be from something that Daniel mentioned last week about being formed by this community together, or it could be some area you've been self-protecting that the Holy Spirit really wants to open you up. So I'm going to give about 30 seconds of quiet, and then I'll, I'll lead us in prayer, and then Dave will lead us in continued worship. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit that question. Holy Spirit, search us and know us and reveal to us that which we need to see. Thank you for the interesting and amazing gifts of music and of singing. Lord, we're sorry for the ways that we've maybe taken it for granted or simply just been ignorant of ways that you might want to meet us in our sung worship. Lord, might we become willing to step out of ourselves a little bit in order to fully surrender to adoring and worshiping you as your worth. Lord, help us take our eyes off of ourselves enough to see you in your splendor and gaze upon your majesty, to be hungry, to be near you in the way that only worship can really provide. Make us people who are eager to be in your presence, in your temple. Remove from us the blinders and the things that keep us from that place. Remove our protective mechanisms, our self-consciousness, our self-awareness, and free us to be people who worship you truly in spirit and in truth. Amen. We have a prayer team that will be at the side walls um, during the next few songs. They'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. If you desire to be shaped and formed more into the likeness of Christ, that was a prayer we'd love to pray, or anything else that's on your, your mind or your heart today, we'd love to meet you there. Let's stand as we continue in our worship together.